0: On this week's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Joel Lougie He describes himself on LinkedIn as a decent recruiter to follow on LinkedIn. We all know there's much more to him than that with over 100,000 followers. Joel is a LinkedIn sensation in the recruitment sector. He currently works as a lead recruiter for a fantastic business in the States called Hirewell, focusing on senior tech recruiters, corporate recruiters, HR talent acquisition and administration positions he's also a fantastic podcast host Joel lougie I'm absolutely thrilled and honored to have you on the purpose-led leadership podcast we've been speaking on and off on LinkedIn for for a couple of years now mate but um delighted to have you on um, you've just joined a new business why don't you start by telling us a little bit more about what that business is and what that business does
1: yeah man well first of all thanks for having me on and uh super excited to be here and, and just connect and obviously talk about recruiting and, and things as well, but just get into real life. But yeah, so I work with cool. a recruitment agency based in Chicago called Hirewell. Um, and I'm on our HR team. So I focus on basically recruiting recruiters for internal positions. So uh, some of that is going after agency people and you know who may be burned out, uh, because of various reasons and and getting him over to corporate positions. But then also uh, we do focus on a, really anything HR or TA related. Um, so yeah, super fun and pretty, pretty new there. I mean, I've been there for about four months, uh, but it's been a great experience so far.
0: That's amazing because I think there is a bit of a stigma attached to the kind of rec to rec recruitment to recruitment um, area, but having, worked with them, dealt with them, but also done loads of work with talent acquisition. I put lots of posts about actually the whole talent acquisition piece. I think it's more sophisticated. And dare I say it, is a there's is a, is a more involvement in that role than being an archetypal recruiter, right? Do you, want, do you want to talk about kind of that, the perception of, you know, internal recruitment, talent acquisition, rector, I, I think what you do in that sphere is is underestimated, basically.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, I think, there's a lot of mindsets that you, that you deal, that I deal with at least on a, on a daily basis, uh, in terms of, you know, I think there's that idea of, and I've seen people posting about this type of stuff as well, where oh, yeah. there's an idea that like somehow if, if somebody goes internal into a company that they are like, they weren't cut out for agency, yes, uh, agency life. But obviously like if you just career map it, um, like agency you know it's like you you really can't actually go that much you know once you build a certain amount then it's what management then it's what Mm. maybe a partner at at the company but I've spoken to a lot of people recently who have been partners at recruitment companies for 10-15 years and then it's like then what and then they're kind of in that corner where they they don't want to take a huge pay cut to go internal so um, I've spoken to a number of people like that but I think internally Mm. I mean, you could maybe you start off as, a, you know, whatever, a senior corporate recruiter and then you have a director and then, you know, you yeah. can get up to these VP of people type positions where you're super strategic. And then you start looking at like global TA positions. Um, so I, I think yeah. a lot of the people I talk to are pretty strategic and really, really knowledgeable. And so I think to put a blanket statement under saying, oh, they just couldn't hack the agency KPIs. I think that actually probably shows that you haven't really spoken to somebody who's in a high level talent acquisition position. But I will say too, like, I think there is truth in that as well, where I don't think everybody is necessarily cut out for agency life as well. And I think, you know, we know as agency recruiters, the challenges that go along with it, like the ups and downs, um, the grind, you know, like the never ending grind, it, it is a tough thing, but it's also incredibly rewarding as well. Um, so I think in my role too, like a big challenge is just, it's really interesting recruiting recruiters because I'm a recruiter myself. So it's like, I know it's the first time I've recruiting a position where I'm actually doing the role. Um, and I think there's a lot of recruiters, you know, there's a lot of mind games that are involved in that as well. And not my, I don't want to say mind games, but it's like, they know the right things to say. Yeah. You know, I've never spoken to anybody that said, yeah, I'm just actively looking for the job. Everybody's passive. Uh, or you know, passively, actively looking around. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's 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 kind of unusual, and I'm I'm enjoying it. But it's obviously in this market, it is it's crazy it's a market. Mar- it's a it is a crazy market, and um, you know, I I think I try and caution people like if you are looking for something new, um, I've just gone through this myself as well. I I mean, I had three companies that I went through from you know, start to, to offer stage. And three was a lot to manage. And mm. um, it was the hardest part actually was at the end, like having to reject a couple of really great companies, yeah. you know, and because you build a relationship as you're in that interview process. But I've spoken to people who have 10 offers on the table. And I think at that point, I don't know whether you're really doing yourself a no. service there by having that many options, because I don't know how you actually could compare positions so i know i'm kind of going on a little bit of a tangent oh that's interesting it's very know.
0: interesting because i mean i think to have that kind of experience of you know uh, from a different lens is important because prior to that he was at hoxford right sean sean's a great guy he's been on my show a lot of, really, yeah really, really great, isn't he but you know that was my understanding was that was talking directly to recruiters about their personal brand and all that kind of stuff so um how did that experience differ to what you're doing now how did you kind of like because it's it's a it is a different role what you're doing now, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it's it's hundred percent different. I think, you know, the goal with Hoxo and you know, I approached them too. Like Sean didn't approach me. Right. Uh, I was I was a huge fan, or I still am a huge fan of Sean's podcast and like everything that they they do. Right. And I I at the time had kind of started my own content marketing. Uh, company and just really quickly realized that I didn't have any idea what I was doing. And obviously, I've got like a maybe it's not obvious, but anyone who doesn't know me, I've got a family. Uh, I've got a, a two and a half, no, sorry, she's going to be three in about two weeks. Um, and I just found out um, at that point that my wife was pregnant with another child. So it was like, uh, you know, I when you go out solo. I think there's a there's particularly nowadays there's a lot of like romanticism and like there's a fascination Mm. with being an entrepreneur being a business owner the reality of it can be completely different obviously and i i felt that really quickly and then i reached out to sean and said hey have you guys thought about launching in the us which you know i think most people in the uk think about the us market uh because it's so big there's a lot of money obviously yeah and uh but i approached him and i was like well i want to be that guy and I think in, I think we both kind of were like, well, how can we fail? Cause we've got lots of LinkedIn followers and we get lots of, you know, I get lots of views and I was getting lots of views at that time. I was like, this is just going to be, it's going to be a, like really, really easy. But I guess what I didn't factor in was we're just in a crazy market right now. And yeah. Yeah. every agency is doing record breaking numbers here <laughs> in the U S so to then, a lot of what I heard was like, yeah, we know that marketing and branding is really important, but hmm. we just had like our worst year ever with COVID. And now we're having the best year ever. And we we can't really justify taking out our team to train them on something that's long-term. Yeah. Um, now, interestingly enough, since I've left Hoxo, I've continued to get people reaching out, wanting help with it, with the personal brand. So that, I think that relationship will remain there uh, obviously. And I'm, still in contact with Sean and, and those guys. But um, yeah. I think where where I found, I think where the similarity is, is like the content is, my content's still very geared towards recruiters, obviously. And so how yeah. it all came together has worked out kind of nicely. And um, I got to a point where I was with at Hawks02 where I was like, man, my content, it's not necessarily getting in front of like the agency owners. And I just come to the realization that for me, the best way for me to get, to get my face out there was to to not necessarily keep on talking about recruiters branding themselves, but to actually make really, really, really relatable content that if I could, I thought if I could get, let's say at an agency, if I could get all 20 recruiters at an agency to like my content, it's going to get in front of whoever the owner is. And yeah. then when I reach out to them, they're going to be like, oh, I've seen you before. And um, so I was going that direction anyway. And now obviously recruiting recruiters, yeah, yeah, you know that's why my content is the way it is because uh, I want to be relatable. I want to have fun with it. Um, is there not a difference also, between
0: between what you were doing with Hoxo? Sorry to interrupt. Hoxo no, no, was no. more Ho, Hoxo is more based around. If, if I'm wrong, is enabling or enabling recruiters to build a personal brand for to improve their client base. But what you're doing now, you're trying to attract recruiters. So isn't it a different different sort of content or not?
1: I think I think there's similarities in it because. But it is, yeah, I mean, it, there's, there's a fundamental difference because last year when, when I was with Hux, a lot of what I talked about was this is why you need to put yourselves out there. And, and you yeah. know, it's like having like a mini salesperson that never sleeps, that's just there all the time. So as you're, you start off your day, you put a post out, it starts to get traction. I'm, you're not doing any yeah. of that work. Um, I think where this is slightly different is I'm just practicing what I preach now. So I don't talk mm. about... I, I've got no. Hey, recruiters out there, I have no incentive for you to to get your brand bigger yeah. um, anymore. Whereas last year it was like course, I was encouraging yeah. everybody to do it. Now I'm just practicing what I preached. But on that
0: on that point, then because um, most people who know me know that I, I was I was I, I was born in S three in recruitment. So I started my, my career in S three, which is a very hardcore, old school kind yeah. of like do the numbers, do the grind, make the calls. And in a very KPI driven environment, and it's only been the last two or three years where I've completely changed my whole kind of uh, modus operandi. And, you know, I've I've worked with people like Amelia and other people, and I believe in the power of personal branding and all that kind of stuff. But I still feel there's a lot of old school methods that are still valuable in today's recruitment landscape but I want to get your opinion on, on what, what's, what's, you know, what pisses you off about recruitment? What, what's, what's some of the old stuff that we should still be doing? What's some of the old stuff we shouldn't be doing? Just that kind of landscape around uh, there's almost two camps. The people, the people who love personal branding, the people who just think shut up about personal branding, just get on the phone. Well, I
1: look, I think it's what you do, whatever it takes to get conversations going. And there's times that it's going to be heavy outbound and there's, and I, but I, I I just think that we're we're enabled now with social media. The way that you can start conversations with people is different. So I, I look at I look at the personal branding. Like yeah, it's it's for me it's essential. And I know for our business, HireWell, we don't have a sales team, but we get inbound business all the time. So we don't we don't have any. There's nobody that's doing a quote unquote, you know, sales activity and just business development everything is coming inbound because as a company we've got a lot of really great content as well. And uh, yeah, I think we did, we ran a, uh, you know, ran like a survey or ran the data on like our internal hires as well. And it was something crazy, like 85% of our internal hires and we've doubled, we doubled last year. So yeah, yeah. All all of that was inbound. So there was no going outbound. Uh, But my, you know, I think is there value in a cold call? Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's like, if you're not having conversations, you got to do whatever it takes to get conversations. And you just have to fundamentally realize that you know mm-hmm. your market. So, like, there are going to be markets where, like, co-calling makes sense. Like, if you're recruiting salespeople and you're not doing cold calling it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I'm reaching out to recruiters. They're all on LinkedIn. So, like, I get a lot of yeah. inbound people coming but if I'm on a search that's looking for something really specific, I'm on LinkedIn recruiter. I'm searching for people. I'm yeah. reaching out to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also I'm doing stuff which like other people I know aren't doing. Like I'm connecting with people on LinkedIn and then sending them a GIF, you know, or like making right. fun of it. Because I know that like I know what other recruiters are doing because I'm getting reached out to by Amazon and Meta and all these other big companies. And it's the same cookie cutter message. And so I think. yeah. yeah. If you, if your calendar doesn't have the amount of conversations that you need, then you need to do something. And it's almost like a do whatever it takes right now. Um, yeah. I think you know, right. but I do get what you're saying. Like, cause what happens is, is you get these people who are like, and I've been there because I was obviously repping a personal brand, but yeah. it's also important to remember that a lot of the people who talk about personal brand, their businesses are helping people with their personal brands. And it's a whole different thing. A different when, world, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's like that content's always going to do well. Like if you're on TikTok and you're telling people mm. how to grow on TikTok, it's going to do well. If you're on Twitter saying, "Hey, I can grow your follower count," that content's going to do well. But it's a whole different thing. Yeah, yeah. When you're when you're recruiting people or you're doing business development, it's it, the personal brand matters, but you're still going to have to do outbound. Yeah.
0: I, th- I, th- I think what has changed, though, in my opinion, is that. You know, um, the smaller recruitment businesses are opening up big accounts, not because of the size of their business, their operation, or, you know, how great they, they, they are doing that one to one human led kind of, whether it's content or approach, it's they, they are talking about family. They are, talk, they are opening up. They are being a bit. I think, I think that's one good thing that I feel that's, that's changed quite a lot. And, I, and it's know, accountability,
1: right? You can't, yeah. hey, if I, if, I to- if I do a post about not ghosting people, dude, I'm going to get 50 people that I ghosted last week being like, dude, you're, and I get people like that. Sometimes you were like, Hey, you didn't accept my connection (laughs) request or whatever. But I do think there's an accountability piece. And I also do think that like, look, when you're outbound, if people, like this is a part that personal brand is I think actually fail to talk about a lot. And that's, it's not all just about inbound. If if everybody knows you, you think like, if I reach out to people and they're like, Hey, I've seen your content. Yeah, I automatically separate myself from the 10 other messages they got from people who they've never seen. So if like, if Gary V reaches out to you, you're answering that. If a celebrity, and I'm not saying like, like building a personal brand is being a celebrity. It's just the basic concept of trust and awareness. And the more people see you, the more they're going to trust you. So then when you do do outbound, then you have a better advantage there as well. And I think that's the piece that the people I think maybe miss with the personal branding because, um, and then that's why I think a lot of people hate it because they're like, that's all you talk about or like, Mm. you know, and and I, but I, it works, you know I mean? It's like,
0: it it clearly
1: works, you know? I mean, I don't know, but again, I'm not like, you know, last year I was coaching people on how to do this. And um, I think like, it's tough because it's a process, and it takes consistency, and it probably takes yeah.
0: doing something for a while before you yeah, really you don't see get it overnight. It. Don't get you don't get inbound leads overnight. But I want I want to talk about you as a human being. I want to talk yeah. about your journey. I want to talk about your family. But before we do that, one hundred thousand followers that doesn't happen overnight either. How how did you do that?
1: Oh man, well it's you know I was at about sixty four months ago, so it's been compounding. Um, yeah. And really, again, it came came to that switch that I was talking about before, where it was like it was actually while I was at Hawk. So I had a, I did a, I basically did a. Po- it was like a meme post about, um, you know, and this one I've done it a couple times, and it just always resonates. It's the one where it's like you source thirty people, you get to know them, and then you you know submit three great candidates, and then the hiring manager comes back and says you know, who else is on the market? And it's like everybody, I don't care if you're the best manager in the world of people, everyone in recruiting at some point has faced that and you and it, and it sucks, right? That post, I think, ended up with 2 million views. And then that was where I was like, man, there's something to this. And I just really continued that uh, for the last three or four months. And, that, and that's how I got to 100K. Um, yeah. You know, and I think, um, but again, it was like the two years of, I mean, in 2021, I posted three times a day, every day, even on the weekend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a lot of work, a lot of work to that's figure cool. it out. That? Um, so that's how it happened, man. Just hard work, consistency, well, and then a little bit of luck.
0: Why do, why do you, I've got my own opinion on this. Why do you think recruiters join recruitment businesses? What are the top three reasons do you think? I think
1: number one reason is they don't really have anything else to do uh, or they haven't like found a career. Cause every, but, every person I've ever interviewed in recruiting it, there's very few people that have planned a recruitment life. It's usually, yeah. I, w- I had another, I had an interview with a recruiter and they were like, you should be a recruiter. Uh, number two, I think money, I, d- I don't think there's a, an E not, obviously it's not easy, but I don't think there's another entry level career path that within two years you could be making six figures. Yeah. Uh, so i think that's it and then number three i think you know especially now more than ever i think it does provide i think now people would get want to get in recruiting because it it's flexible and all of the positions are remote but that's a new development so what mm-hmm. about you i mean what are your
0: what are your i, I um i challenge this and pe- people sort of some people agree with me a lot of people do and some there, there are a group that i'm not saying money isn't the most important thing i don't I actually don't think it is i think you're a good example of that i think you're very much about being a good dad and for me i think actually yes money is important but i actually think it's a misconception a lot of the people that are in recruitment even the business owners yeah they're doing it for the money but they are doing it for for the purpose for the legacy and all that and you know so why are you doing it for the money why do you want the money because i want a nice house a nice car a nice you know a nice environment for my for my family um why do you want that oh because i want a nice legacy oh so do you think a nice car a nice watch a nice house is going to provide that legacy for your children or do you think the quality time you spend with them, the love that you give them? They're like, Oh, right. So I I love, I love money, but I I actually think it goes much deeper than that. So my answer is yes, money, but I I actually, I'm finding that people want development. They want, they want fulfillment and they want, you know, to be able to have that quality time and that flexible time as well. Not, not the old school kind of getting at eight work till late. I think that's going a little bit, you know?
1: I think that's going, I I wouldn't even say that that is, you know exclusive to the recruitment world right now mm. and i think it's mm. in general in business i think people have just realized that you know i can work 60 to 80 hours for somebody or even for myself uh, which yeah. is technically working for someone because you're working for your clients but i'm going to work 60 to 80 hours um for this you know like you said like for what like more living space or mm. fancy gadgets and those types of things which like you know a nice car it's gonna have a novelty for a while but it's like anything else like then you see another nice car that you want so it's just never ending but i think right now people are seeing family and health and that's shaped a lot with the pandemic as well because i think globally people started being like oh man like there's other things in life that matter and and then you've got linkedin as well which i think is are you really, really big catalyst for this? Yes, I think partially for business reasons, but yeah. they're pushing the Great Resignation now, and they're <laughs> pushing the side hustles. Yeah. Um, you know, but at the same time, you know, obviously they're they're limiting the amount of yeah. people you can connect with, and they're pushing emails. So I think LinkedIn is a weird catalyst within it all because they're a
0: business yeah. as well. And this is why businesses like Hirewell and some other businesses I work with, they're ahead of the game because some of the old school businesses, they attracted people, including me. I, I, the reason why I joined S3 20 odd years ago was it was because I could get a company car, earn loads of money, all that kind of stuff. And I think back then that was the right thing. Uh, you know, People were motivated by money, the picket fence, the house, the car, and the old school way of it was like, you know, you saw your your employer as someone who was you know superior and you looked up to them, you you wanted to run through a brick wall for them, all those kind of things. But I think this generation and the world has changed a lot now where leaders can't get away with saying, well, we're better because we've we've got a company car scheme, or we're better because we go to Ibiza. I think it's, I don't think it's like that anymore.
1: No, but I will say it, like, I mean, even with Hirewell, um, you know, we had several people that were, you know, top billers over a million dollars, and that's not even that's not included in their the commission that they were getting from sending business to other teams as well. So don't get me wrong, like at the company I work for, there's people who are making a lot, a lot of money, but we're not doing it. We're not doing it with like KPIs being held over your head. It's, it is an understanding that at the end of the day, like, I think once you, once you get out, once you're three to five years in recruiting, especially agency, you should know the activity that needs to get the results yeah. that you're looking for. And yeah. so then you, you prioritize it. Maybe you have a couple of years where you are just going balls to the wall and you're billing a ton, yeah. but how sustainable is that? Is it sustainable? I, I think like, do I really Balance, need it? it? If you're going to hire me and you don't trust me to know like when to go to a doctor's appointment compared to taking like a candidate call, yeah, I don't yeah. why like, then you suck at hiring because you're hiring people yeah. that you don't trust. So so but true. there's something to be said man it's hard work you know and i think like of I don't, course. also don't don't like i don't want it to seem like i'm like some part time guy that's not working hard it's like That's not the
0: point though no. it's it's not about that you you it's working smart you know exactly. there's, a, there's a you you have to you have to work you can work hard but you can just do it doing it a different way like for instance um this whole work from home, work from anywhere thing, the whole nine to five thing. Why can't a recruiter work six pm till ten pm and then go to go to the gym at between uh, ten o'clock in the morning? Just you know, I know it's, uh, it doesn't have to be the old school, but saying yeah, that also, exactly. it's really important to be in the office. But we could talk a well, long yeah, time, and, and
1: I, I do think it's like it. There's a challenge right now. It's like you even said with the pers- personal branding, like it's really easy to just be ex- extreme with like your view on something. And yeah. right now, like something like you know, saying like. Well, work from home, you know, remote work. It's the only way. It's like, like, man, I worked remotely for seven years, and right now I'm renting an office because I got two young kids screaming. So it's more stressful for me to work from home actually than get a place. I, I, I will just, I will stand by this till the day I die. Like I'm a fan of like work wherever you want and make sense for your job. But at times, like you might work internally at a company if you wanna if if you wanna show people. And have engaged people, especially like the younger workforce. There yep. is something to be said about being with other people, and especially in recruitment. Like I think about when I first started, it was the times that I worked around other people and heard conversations that I learned the most. And but I think there's a way to do it that isn't. I think there's an extreme. There's just extremes with all of this stuff, and and mm. it's too early to just make a a blanket statement and go well remote if you don't everybody. hire people remotely you're an idiot like yeah. okay like we're like two years into this and who yeah. knows like i don't know maybe like i enjoy being around people so i i just think like yeah it's easy and it and on linkedin right now in particular it's easy to like it's easy to get a lot of likes for stuff like that, but it does like likes don't equal something being right either. And so it's just, it's foolish to like just make an extreme statement like that as well in the long run, in my opinion, a lot of that
0: that goes on. So let's talk about um, a bit more about you and your, your journey. You know, I I like my guests to go back as far as school, but I mean, if if you can just talk to us a bit, some of your highs and lows, any adversity you've had, let's, let's get to know Joel a bit more.
1: Yeah, man. Well, er, you know, I'm originally from Blackpool in England. Wow. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so I grew up in Blackpool and was born in a hospital called Queen Victoria Hospital, which there's probably, there might be some people uh, from Blackpool listening. I know a couple of recruiters <laughs> from there. Uh, but, yes, yeah, so, so I grew up in good Blackpool. Good perspective
0: there, isn't it? Good perspective, no?
1: Yes, yeah, it could be about all it's good for. No, I shouldn't say <laughs> that. I, so, I, yes, yeah, so I grew up, I grew up there until I was about 10. And, you know, you might not be able to see this too, because it's wintertime here. But like, you know, I'm mixed race. So my granddad is actually from Trinidad. And uh, he moved over to England, he was one of the first black doctors actually in England. So my my dad, you know, is half black, half white. Um, You know, he lived in Blackpool in the north of England. So yeah, you know, even me growing up, like I I experienced a lot of just racism, you know, grown man calling me a packy, giving me the You know the piss off you you know like all that sort of stuff as a kid, uh, experience in that and you know it's like even if I go back now to visit my grandma, it's probably um it's probably about ten minutes where someone's yelling, oi packy type thing when I'm in even now today yeah even well it's three years ago was the last time I was over there so maybe it's you know hopefully it's changed you know but um yeah so grew up with that and it was like I was the only you know I went the school I went to. I think there was like two other Indian kids and then it was me. And so it was like, you know, growing up in that environment, it was just a tougher environment to grow up in. And like, I think my dad had, you know, him and he had five brothers and they all experienced, you Some. know, a l- racism growing up because, oh. you know, 30, 40 years ago, it just obviously it was a lot different. Uh, so they, they, uh, they experienced a lot of that kind of stuff. I I did too. And then, um then I moved down to Basingstoke or you know for I think we that must have been when I was 10 or 11. Uh and again it was like a similar thing probably not as not as you know a little bit different but you know I think moving moving around a lot at a young age was challenging because you got to make a new set of friends and then 3 years later that's when I moved to the US. Um and that was, again, it was just unusual because it was like, it wasn't what people expected uh, from being from England. Like I had a Northern accent and obviously I don't have that accent anymore, but it was because like nobody understood what I said for about three months. So I just started, I just All realized right. like, I need to adapt everything about who I am uh, to fit Why in. The US
0: though? Why the U.S.?
1: Um. Yeah. So my uncle who obviously it's really close to my dad because they're brothers he had met a girl from uh the u.s and she yeah. was over for like a mission strip actually and uh they ended up getting married and then he moved over to, to uh kenosha which it's like basically i think that's everything. a
0: huge change for someone like in, in their teenage years was it kind of a sudden thing then or was it do you have time to kind of like we kind of knew or?
1: it was coming but yeah right. i mean it's okay. like when it happens like and i adjusted, just did I just did okay to it because uh, I think I'm just naturally more of like a people person. And I played, I was really good at soccer compared to the Americans. So nice. that kind of like, yeah. you know, I was like that kind of set me apart and then being English, it was like, they were like, Oh wow. Like this guy has to be good. And, uh, but my sister on the other hand, um, like I, she found it a massive struggle to just make new friends. And so for her, it was pretty isolating. And when we moved to the U.S. It was um, middle of winter and like I live in like the Midwest of of the U.S., like Chicago area. So I didn't see like I couldn't even go outside for the first, you know, three or four months. So it was challenging. And then just like culturally, U.S. is just obviously way different. And yeah, um, yeah, it was a lot, man. It's just it's a big change. Uh, to adapt and when you're a kid you're trying to fit in so you're like automatically different right away
0: so that kind Um, kind of that kind of racism you know your 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 father being from a different kind of um um race if you like and also you know moving to america and then probably being not bullied but you know you were different wasn't you i mean how, how do you think that's affected you today yeah i mean when
1: i mean when i was growing up in like you know, high school, like I was pretty aggressive because I was just so used to people like, you know, bullying me that I I just got on the front foot and I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to be kind of aggressive towards people. So I think that's how it initially affected me. But I think now how it's shaped me is like, yeah, you know, I mean, again, going a little bit further, when I was 18, I actually moved back to England uh, for a couple of okay. years. Right. Um, but I think just moving around a lot, Like it's obviously Mm -hmm. helps with recruiting because you can just know like how to relate to other people who are completely different. But then also it just, it opens up your mind to like, okay, there's just different ways of things being done. And so I think it just allows you to empathize with different types of people. But, um, but yeah, like I said, I would move. So when I moved back to England when I was 18 and you might not know about this, I've shared about it a couple of times, but I actually ended up, um, we were going through the green card process at the time and um yeah I ended up I basically just ended up like I had to be in England actually for two years and I couldn't come back and visit my family and I was like 18 and um I ended up having a mental breakdown so I got sectioned in England uh twice actually once when I was in uh I was I moved back to I'd actually moved to live in Taunton so I again moved around since Somerset but uh, um yeah, I ended up getting sectioned. I had the 28-day sectioning kind of thing that they do over wow. there and got diagnosed with being bipolar. Cause I had I basically had like a wild, like um I had this like day where I think I'd kinda gone out and probably been partying in the way, you know, with some drugs that I shouldn't have. And uh but I ended up in a psychosis and like freaking out on my family and almost like realized like I couldn't go back to the U S for a couple of years. And it was this huge like thing yeah. at the time. Um, and so when I got sectioned in, in England, it was just this most bizarre thing to be going through at 18. And um, yeah. you know, obviously anyone that's been an institutionalized will understand like what it's like. And I think mm-hmm. when you're 18, it's like, yeah, everyone else is like, yeah, I'm going to school or I'm doing this. And it's like, I'm in a mental hospital in a foreign country, which, Obviously, it was my home country, but didn't really feel like it. Um, And so I got out. I actually got out, and then I ended up moving back up to Blackpool with some of my family, and then I got sectioned again up in Blackpool because I was just, like, suicidal, the fact that, like, my life had fallen apart at 18. Um, But I think when I was in the hospital, I mean, obviously, there's just people who are, you know, people have midlife crises, and it's, like, it was a very real experience at that time. Um. Do you What? Um.
0: I mean, thank you very much for being so open and vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. Um, I want to. I mean, it's to...
1: it's easier to be open about it now because it was. Yeah. You know what? Twelve uh, years ago, thirteen years ago. So.
0: I, I saw. I saw a post that you did. I think it was today or yesterday. Something about you, you're not. You're not interested in money as much. It's, you Your Your purpose is about being a good dad, and I, and I just wonder is that has that got anything to do with the fact that you're your parents weren't good parents to you and that brought on some of the, some of the, the, the stuff you had before. I mean, just cause to have two set to be section twice, I mean that there's got to be more, 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 behind that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think like, I mean, drugs definitely played a part in that. I mean, I was, yeah. took a line of uh, methamphetamines and I was up for two days. So wow. I, that played a huge part in it, but no, I mean, my, pa- my parents are great. I'm really close to my, my dad. I'm really close to my mom, like really mm-hmm. close to them to this day. But my dad was an entrepreneur, like business owner, and he ran his own business and it just, his business was at, you know, basically exporting UK, uh, helping companies in the UK launch in the US. That was the business, but obviously like 2008 hit, nobody's looking to expand to different countries. Uh, I know England was hit really hard in the 08 recession, obviously so was the US. Um, but I just watched my dad work a lot, a lo- lot, a lot, a lot of long hours my mom also worked with them. So it was like, they both worked just long hours and it was to provide for us. So I'm always going to respect that. And I'm always going to respect the fact that they got me to the U S where I think there is more opportunity in, in a lot of ways. Um, but I think for me, like seeing that, um, you know, really over the, it wasn't, I always had that itch of like, okay, I want to do that too. And I want to be my own boss. Uh, but I, I just think quickly, I realized like that isn't necessarily what I want for me. And Mm -hmm. I've got friends who own really big businesses and they don't really spend that much time with their kids. And that's cool. And it's a choice and it's like, they're going to leave, they're, they're able to provide a lot of things that maybe I won't be able to, but looking back at it, I'm like, I probably would have wanted my parents more around because at the end of the day, like that, that, that is, is it so i think now like yeah my goal is like i want to obviously provide and I, financially but i also want to be provide like emotionally and just be there for them um yeah. as much as possible and i don't actually think the two are mutually exclusive nowadays and i think yeah. you can make pretty good money um and be there for, for your kids and yeah of course and it's different seasons too because I, I don't i think there's an illusion too, like it can take like 50 years to scale a business. Like I have a friend who started a recruitment business seven years ago and he scaled it to a $20 million business with 300 people. So I don't think it necessarily has to take no. 40 years to scale a business nowadays. Yeah. I think it can happen quicker. So
0: you can't necessarily put your finger on any, any major, obviously the drugs kind a part. I mean, I think, you know, uh, um, we've all done things like that in the past. And, you know, I've, t- I've been open about my own mental health and suicide stuff as well. So, um, but you can't necessarily put your finger on some of the reasons why you were sectioned twice. And also, you know, let's not underestimate that. How, how did, how did you come out of that? You know, what, what was there a turning point?
1: Yeah. I mean, one, so mental health too, you know, mental health problems actually run in my family as well. So I had an uncle who, uh, lives in, I think he lives in Blackpool now, but he, he had in the eighties, like he had, gone you know he had been institutionalized a lot and like yeah. back then it was like you know like shock therapy type things so he'd kind of gone through that a lot you know like yeah, just wow. really heavy medication basically as well and and so he was there for me a lot just to kind of like help me with things and um yeah. I mean, I, the thing is, is like, I'd always been pretty emotional growing up as well. And like, I used to get fights a lot and like anger has always been a huge thing, which I think people might, would be surprised at, but it's like, mm. I used to be just really angry. And I did, you know, I think, I think growing up, I def- I kind of resented my parents for like moving us in the way they did. Yeah. Cause I was like, you weren't thinking about us a lot, but I think a lot of teenagers probably resent their parents. So I don't yeah. think that that's necessarily uh, anything, but yeah, I just, I can't really like put it down to like, Hey, this event happened. I just think that like, hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe just the drugs definitely set it over the edge, but then I also think like I was already emotional and like, exactly. there was definitely like mood things like when I was growing up. And so I think when I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder, it kind of made a lot of sense as well. Like, I know my, yeah. even my parents would have been like, Yeah, he's probably like, he had a lot of ups and downs. And, but it was like, you know, this is 10, 15 years ago. So it wasn't like mental health was really talked about. So right. it was like, I yeah, don't, yeah. I think now there's a lot more of an awareness of things, is. which is good. Yeah. Uh, and I just think like people are more self aware and aware that like, Hey, I, you know, I've got a mood, something I'm depressed or I'm like, you know, I'm going through it. Own, the, own it. Yeah. Own it. And that still happens to me now. I mean, my wife, you know, like the other day, she was like, "Man, you're just being like, you're like running at 100 miles per hour." So it's like still something I have to watch out for.
0: But yeah. I think I think what you touched on there about about emotions, I, th- I think, particularly in men, we're indoctrinated or taught or or, or educated or managed or parented or whatever to so, you know don't show your emotion, go out, you know, earn the money and you know whatever. But I, feel, I, I think that's changed. But in relation to recruitment I, I think that a lot of normal recruiters laugh at this but the good recruiters know exactly what i mean i think you have to have a high level of emotional intelligence to be good at this job so you, you can be you can be very very good technically and know your niche know your market but if you don't understand people right you're not going yeah. not going to succeed what do you think
1: yeah i 100% agree and i think that a lot of the conversations that we have i mean at least a lot of the conversations i have it's like it's a lot of like understanding and coaching people and like just understanding that like I know like there's recruiters out there who are like I can get anybody to switch jobs but it's like (laughs) it's just not true because it's just timing with things as well and it's like you know like when you step back and you go okay this is a human being it's like sometimes the timing isn't actually right you know like maybe you you know just had a young you know you just had a child and it's like maybe a job switch isn't the best thing for you at this moment and I think the recruiters nowadays that I think are going to be the ones that do well are the ones that kind of, you know, you do really understand people. And I think obviously people are a lot more aware of culture fit and that type of stuff. So you have to know that. And so I think like, I don't know. I mean, there's obviously always going to be transactional type of recruiting as well. That happens. But I do think that like relationally now, like you just, you have to, you have to understand relationships and people obviously for recruiting, but um, yeah. again with the exception of like contract or maybe like you know if you're doing like hourly positions it like, might not be yeah. as much as that but you're still yeah. dealing with humans so i don't understand like you've still got to like know people and Definitely. be able to be able to walk through the, the work through the decision making process and like walk through the conversations and and yeah. care about people as well because i think people i don't know they just used to bad experiences with recruiters so it's like you can really stand out if you are genuinely looking out for your candidates and obviously you're looking out for your clients as well but because they pay the bills but um of course i think candidates are you know they're 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 aware of that and again i'm right. recruiting recruiters so there's a little bit of a nuance there that maybe
0: you've recruited um you've recruited for contract or intern before now i i i started out as an interim recruiter and did very very well and i kind of moved to perm and um i'm gonna ask you a direct question what do you think's the more difficult or more sophisticated Contract
1: or perm? I think. I mean, I think they just have nuances on both. Like, I think perm, it's probably more like what we're talking about, where it's more relational. But then again, like contract, it's like you can build a relationship with a contractor, and have and they can work with you for ten years. So, um, I think that I think they're different, and they they have, and I think like a perm position you're more maybe looking at like the vision and the purpose of like the company where I don't think that mm. necessarily matters as much, but again, it's hard to, hard to make yeah. blanket statements about stuff, right? It is, I think It is. is. I'll
0: put you on a the spot there, but, but I, I, what I'm trying to say, I, I think which so one's I'm, better.
1: I'm, That's what you're asking me. Well, you know, let's not get
0: too just... controversial. <laughs> let's start a fight. Let's do a poll. <laughs> um, yeah i I, th- I think both both have their merits but i think uh, a lot of people underestimate what's involved in, in in a quality contract recruiter actually
1: yeah i mean you've got to yeah and no i haven't done it before this is actually my first role that oh okay right. i do contract and perm now and it's like hey for right now like you, you know the contract recruiting market it mm. is a challenge i mean oh man it is hard because there's a lot of people who have a lot of offers on but i think again it's like you kind of gotta and it's the same across recruiting right it's like you have yeah. to, you have to be able to over time just figure out like what somebody's actually saying. Yes, because people people know kind of the right things to say, and you have to be able to understand like is there something else going on, and just know how to ask the right questions without kind of pinning people down in an old mm-hmm. school type of fashion. Yeah, uh, but I think you just have to again, it's, you've got to understand people, and um, I think that comes just through time as well. Definitely. a lot of times
0: left field kind of question. What do you think men can do more to help women within, in recruitment in, 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 in the business world?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think in the business world, you know, as recruiters, the first thing that comes to mind is you know, helping with salary and like the negotiation and, and those types of things like, you know, particularly yeah. in, as recruiters. And I think this is, you know, when we talk about like DNI and, 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 yeah. You know, anything that's that's diversity related um it's we have a direct role and responsibility and if you see that somebody is doesn't actually know what their market value is like helping out in that way and being an advocate that way is massive and being able to like guide people and and help them because at the end of the day too like you studies show time and time again that men will negotiate more and that, that like men will They're more apt to like negotiate for more where studies have shown again women aren't as apt to do that. And I think being that encourager and advocate is huge, and especially in the role of recruiting. Um, you know, and and I think yeah, I think I think that's a really, really big way as recruiters in
0: general that we can we can help with that. And do you feel on on the on the DNI piece, the diversity and inclusion piece, do you feel that the recruitment sector could do more what's your opinion of it in general around that
1: yeah i mean i I do think so because i think you know particularly here in the u.s like i think if you're if the only way that you're sourcing is linkedin then you may be losing candidates as well that maybe yeah yeah you know aren't aren't as active on the platform or maybe they haven't had like the training to be told, hey you should have a linkedin profile so i do i do think that recruiters do play a role ultimately the ultimate responsibility is a business owner you know i mean that's when i you know i can't if a hiring manager's got some kind of bias towards somebody like i can't know that and Mm -hmm. a lot of times i'm not going to tell you um so i think that ultimately is like the business owners as well and like creating a culture of inclusivity but i do think that recruiters like we obviously pick and choose who we're going to send through to clients based on mm. our own decision of whether or not someone's qualified. So I think you have to check yourself constantly and be like, okay, am I only sending through like a certain type of person? Yeah, uh, because that's just who I connect with. Uh, for sure, that's that's a it's a real issue. But I think you've got to check yourself. I think Companies there's a lot. of, there's a lot of bias.
0: There's a lot of bias, isn't there? I think where you know you look at one type of CV over another, and you. And you some I think I've, I've experienced some people ruling someone out based on those factors or ruling someone in based on those factors as well, you know?
1: Yeah, it's and it's, I don't think anybody, I'd argue anybody that says they've got that all figured out. I mean, I don't know if anybody does. Process, I that's think,
0: gonna
1: be yeah. It, yeah, and it's like, I, but I think it's like, as recruiters, it's like being open-minded. And again, like, look at your own numbers. Just look at who have you sent through. Yeah. And just objectively look at it and go, oh, man, I'm like, I'm sending through like the exact same profile over and over and over. Mm. Maybe you need to check yourself. But again, it's yeah. we're in a unique position. And obviously, like, clients are going to do whatever they want. And that's yeah. on them. That's not
0: really me. We're coming towards the end. of.
1: It always goes by so quick. Huh? I
0: just I always get blown away with I mean, how quick. This it's is is. good. We covered so much, though, but. I mean, I, I I love how open you've been. I was want to touch a bit more on, on the mental health. I mean, what what I mean, everyone's got mental health. That's that's that that's that's not um, deviate from that. So yeah, what do you, what do you do to check yourself and keep yourself in check? And you know, no matter sometimes, no matter what we do, we're always going to have a wobble, right? But what, what do you do?
1: Yeah, I think. <laughs> one of the advantages of, of something like that happening to me at 18 is like, obviously it's like at a point in life where I didn't have family. I didn't really have much. It was just kind of myself. So it was like, okay. Yeah. Impacted like my parents probably the most, but it also, you know, I was asking questions that maybe you don't typically ask at 18. And I was thinking about things that maybe you don't think of at, at, at 18. So mm-hmm. I think for me, it's like, I just know I've learned over the years to just know, where I'm at, kind of where I'm at. So if I'm manic, you know, like I will know what I just can. I just have learned to kind of know that, and yeah, yeah. I think being That's honest and open with yourself and then mm-hmm. other people is is huge, and not letting pride get in the way, and not letting like, hey, I'm too good for this. Like, um, you know, it's it's a dangerous way to think because it can, you know, breakdowns and just being overwhelmed can happen quick and it can happen out of nowhere. And uh, obviously like if you're, if you've got family and those things, like it's going to impact them in a significant way. So I think being honest with where you're at is huge. And then just knowing what your triggers are and knowing like what you're, what you're doing to self-medicate as well. So, you know, like for some, like drinking for me, um, not that I drink a lot now really anyway, but like drinking, in particular was like a really big thing for me as it is for a lot of people. So, uh, but then also like, Mm. you know, I'm, I'm getting pretty, you know, I'm getting more into like, you know, I try and go to the gym like regularly and just like have those outlets. And I'm not talking about like crushing weight to like, look like a, you know, like a men's health, like model, (sighs) like literally, I don't even really go for my physical health. Like I, I just go more for like, I need some downtime away from LinkedIn, away from, the emails, the DMS, the phone conversations, I like to just have that time away. Um, so yeah, I just think having those, those things in there. And I think if you're at a point where like, you know, maybe you need help too, like, just talk to, you know, talk to someone like Chris, who's like, actually, you know, talk to someone like yourself, that's actually coaching and like, has gone through things and can objectively like actually help you out. And I think, yeah. You're in a dangerous spot in your life ever if you think that like you just can do it alone without other people. Like isolation is a dangerous thing in general.
0: Oh, I'm a coach. I'm a mental health advocate and I've got loads of experience and lived experience, but I've got two or three other different coaches. Like, everyone doesn't matter who you are. Exactly. You, you've got to have someone to, to 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 talk to. So what's been your what's been your proudest moment so far? Just in life in general? Yeah. Yeah,
1: man. I mean it like definitely just being there for like the birth of Of both of my children although I passed out with my son but I was like (laughs) I was like I was there from like start to finish with with my daughter and I think that is just the proudest moment and just knowing that like being a dad is just it was yeah I mean I'm still unpacking it if I'm honest because you're still young but definitely the proudest moment and then secondary I think you know work wise like it was a proud moment like when I went me going solo for me was a proud day, even though it didn't, you know, even though I'm not like a seven figure, you know, business owner now, uh, it's like, it just, it just showed that like, I can back myself and you know what I survived during that time and like made probably a similar amount of money than I, I, I was at the time anyway. So I, I was like, it was a proud moment for me because it was like, okay, I I'm, I don't need, I don't need necessarily a job to just like, if I lost my job, like, I feel like I'd be totally fine. So, that well, was a really big proud
0: moment as well. Um, that's so, yeah. really interesting. That's really interesting because I think um, what what I used to do was I, I I deemed my success and my pride on the size of my business, and I always put the business first. Now I'm I'm the other way around, and I, I think you can have everything, and it's not about putting business. I think the whole work life balance is life, isn't it? It's it's, it's that you know it's, it's the whole thing. It's you know you can have the most successful business in the world, but you know if you've got bad relationships, a bad marriage you know, you've got a bad social uh, um, group or you, you, you're not growing as an individual, then it doesn't really matter, does it?
1: It doesn't. And I think you got to look at, like you said it before, it's what's the purpose. And I think a lot of people, like for me, I had just had this like thing for years where I was like, I can do this solo. And I think in recruiting in particular, it's one of those industries where we're all pretty, entre- like you have to be somewhat entrepreneurial to be a recruiter, especially agency, because mm. it's, it's like you eat what you kill most of the time and so I think all of us I'd be shocked to hear anybody that's in recruiting and doesn't hasn't thought like oh I could just open up my own shop yeah thing (laughs) um but for me it was like it was just a total like I just wanted to like prove peep to people and I wanted to prove to myself and but it was from like a negative place it wasn't It wasn't even like, Hey, I want to start a business so I can like help support other people and give, provide jobs for them. And I want to impact like the sector I'm working in. It was like, literally, I just want to like prove something that like, I'm. it was just from, it was a slightly skewed place. And I think like, it's just like, if you are really pissed off at your job, that's not a reason to start up a business (laughs) because ultimately that won't. No, I just don't think it like I think there's always more. There's always someone who's gonna be more successful. And yeah. but it's a fine line because you need to have a competitive drive. And like when I see people who are scaling businesses, yeah, it takes it, it's it takes a lot. And as there's there's, yes. there's a so much that goes into that. Um and you kind of have to have that chip on your shoulder in some ways, but there's a fine it's a balance with it and i think it's like it's not just a black and white thing
0: this is why i think we talked off camera you know i'm an NED now so i go into businesses and they, they often say look you know we're earning this we're bidding this sort of money or turning over this we want to get to x we want to get to x headcount and i said before we even think about doing that we need to understand what your vision is what your purpose is and where you're going and you know and i push that and push that and once once we get that every business, accelerates, So, you know, this is the purpose of the leadership podcast. I I think that kind of stuff is, is so important on that, on that premise. What, how would you define what Joel Loutledge's purpose and vision is now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's being a great dad. uh, I mean, being, I just want to be there for my family. And I think that's again, the biggest piece. And like, I'm not saying like, I don't (sighs) just, that is what it, that to me, that is like ultimately like what I want. And like, you know, I was at a funeral actually last week and it was a, a guy who was like, he was like a woodworking guy, like super low key, like, you know, provided for, I think it was a real estate agent. So was a real estate agent and oh, yeah. nothing like career wise impressive, but like the stuff his kids said, both of them was like, I like, it was hard not to fast forward and think like that, uh, Yeah. I, d- I wouldn't want like a bunch of people being like, Oh man, this guy is blah, 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 blah. And then the kids get up and are like, or they don't want to speak. Like it was yeah. that to me is it, okay. huge. And uh, yeah, it's I think, cool. I think that's what, that's what I'm about. And it wasn't always like that. And like, I totally get like,
0: hmm. It's a journey, right?
1: It is. And it's like, Hey, you could be speaking to me in 10 years and yeah. I have a business or something like that. Or like I've started up a business uh, and i think that's important too it's like I think priorities change and they shift uh as well and uh yeah and it's like if you had asked me 2 years ago my purpose probably would have been like you know to be like a content marketer and have some sort of business uh
0: so okay and just kind of the last one or two questions um obviously eight the year 18 years on this planet you know from what you've said about your being sections and things like that but if 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 you could go back to being an 18 year old yeah, I know it's an obvious question, but what would you no. do? What would you do differently, or what would you advise someone at eighteen going into the the world?
1: Yeah, I think I, I think like I think for me, like it was just always like there's a lot of like pressure, like just wanting things to happen really, really quickly. And I think if I could go back and tell myself anything, it would just be like, dude, it is like really like a long game with so many things in life, and. Mm. I think also too, like, I just, I did well academically and on all that type of stuff. But in the real world, like stuff like how well you did at school, like doesn't always matter. And I think I just also tell myself that like, there's probably people who maybe aren't even as smart, (laughs) like who just do well. And it's like, that's life. And it's like, it's being okay with that as well. So I think, you know, take it slow, Mm. understand that. You know, you don't have to, if you haven't accomplished something amazing by a certain age, like you're not a failure as well. Um, and then me personally, I'd probably just tell myself to slow down with the partying too, because uh, <laughs> I didn't really slow down until I was probably in my like late twenties. Uh, I didn't actually start my actual career really until, yeah, I was 28, 29. You know, I spent a lot of time going to festivals and like partying a lot.
0: So uh, Yeah. Well, I'm sure you had a great time as well, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I prefer to regret things that I've done than wish I wish I had done something. Basically, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, um, and it,
1: it, it, but it's like you say, man. It's like everybody. I'm sure you. It's so interesting, like you like what you said too about like having people slow down and be like, what is, what is it that I even care about? And it's like I feel right. like everybody should should probably be asking those questions and again it's like do you need to have it all figured out or can things change like sure but it's it's important i think it's important for employees to do the same thing to be honest with you and like why are you even in your job
0: right now you know like what what are you getting out of it is this you know i like blanket statements but just in closing the last question (laughs) if our audience can take one thing away from you what would it be how bad one
1: thing um That is a, it's a, it's a tough question. As we talked a, about a lot. Um, hmm. I would say like with even, I think figuring out the priorities, figuring out what, what you care about uh, in, in life. And also I think there's a massive pressure on everybody to like look successful and especially on social media. And I just want to tell, say to everybody, like, what you see, whether it's LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, like I've met, we've all met those, you know, people who have yeah. big following counts and it's like, it's a lot of, it's an illusion and it's like, you shouldn't have a pressure, you know, was, we need to get rid of this just like pressure of like person success and like that, like, that, that makes you like a, some sort of like good human. It's like, obviously those things are, are important, but I think as a whole we needed, I don't know, just, and do away with the hustle porn as well That's, those are my two, point, two, uh, two takeaways <laughs> yes. Yes. fragmented takeaways
0: <laughs> love it mate that was superb thank you so much for coming on I really enjoyed it man
1: thank you yeah I had a, I had a great time they always go just way too quick and uh, appreciate, appreciate just being on a different type of podcast as well where we're talking about yeah, who mate. I am like I don't get a, these questions a lot so thanks for having me on appreciate it mate thank you
0: see ya The Purpose Led Leadership Podcast is sponsored by Vincherry, the recruitment operating system used by over 20,000 recruiters worldwide. I chose to partner with Vincherry because I'm a customer and I love their modern rec operating system, a single tech platform to streamline the front, middle, and back office operations of executive search, perm, contract, and temp businesses. If you're looking for a breed of new tech partner, talk to Vincherry. They have follow the sun's support with seven offices around the world. Check them out at vinsherry.io forward slash Chris O'Connell for an exclusive offer for all listeners.